Good evening, welcome to the fourth episode of Gavin with Glassheads. We're starting to become a regular fixture, hopefully in your podcast ears. Tonight we've got on mixed martial arts veteran, uh, pro wrestling star now, Mr. Dave Faulkner. How's it going, Dave? Absolutely fantastic. I, I live for this stuff. Thanks for having me on, Lee. <laughs> Absolute pleasure from all three of us. So, without further ado... We've done this with our friend Junior Thompson. I'm going to try and do my Scouse Michael Buffer. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the main event. Coming to your podcast is none other than David Faulkner. He's got an MMA record of 8-1. and one. He's one of the baddest men on the planet, and he's coming in your ears right now. Dave Faulkner, <laughs> let's go. Yes, I am actually doing a lap of the room. Thank you. I'm doing a lap. <laughs> so just to get started, Dave, um, obviously I know you a little bit from the MMA and wrestling world. Um, yep. So just going to kick off with MMA first. And where I first came across you was on the uh, the Ultimate Fighter. Yep. How was your experience being over there in America and being on such a high-profile show? No, it was good. Originally, I had no interest on, on doing it. I was in a, I was in a different uh, part of my life. I was, to be honest, it got a little bit stale. Um, I just wanted to be at the time. I just wanted to be the world's greatest grappler, and it was just uh, they'd done a few promo videos, Bisping and and um, Tom were our two top fighters at the time, Tom Blackledge, and just I was just messing about on some of their videos, like just being. Just cracking a few jokes. I remember I was doing like these shuttle runs and I had this hat. And every time I spoke, the lips on the hat moved. No, just daft stuff like that. He kept asking about who's the... Because I had white hair and stuff at the time as well. So uh, he kept asking about me and he asked about my record. And he was just like... It was, it was just building a little bit of interest. And it was... Anthony McGann asked me to do... Just asked me to do it one night. And I hadn't even slept. I was I was up all night messing about. And um, as you do. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a game nerd, by the way. So... Probably playing a lot of retro games, weren't sleeping much, and uh, he just forced me to do it, basically, or tricked me. I think he he, um, he said he was going to give me some of his Star Wars memorabilia, but went, but we went, and it was um, it was positive mostly. Yeah, as I say, I enjoyed watching you on the show and uh, all of the other the guys that were on it. So yeah, I think um, just to be on it just raises uh, your profile as a as a fighter, I guess. I think I was had a cleaner. It was a bit stop start me career after it, so. I think I would have had a cleaner run. I think I would have had more fights as well, because even be, just 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 after you're on the show as well, you've got to ask them, even if they don't use you again, you've got to ask them for the next three years if you can fight and stuff, because you're still under contract with them. So, yeah, that was good, because I got other stuff from me that weren't even fighting related. So it was it was good, like. Brilliant. So you mentioned uh, the pro wrestling as well. A few years ago, I was trying to set up my own company, as you know. And mm. I wanted you and our friend Sam, a.k.a. Pitbull, to be my badass tag team. That didn't <laughs> yeah. come off, unfortunately. But now you're wrestling a lot for Wrestle Island and the Welsh uh, promotion as the Dogs of War. Yep. How are you enjoying that? I absolutely loved it. Well, it's um, it's funny because when you came to us with it, like, again, I think like uh, Sam was um, taking control of my... Because he knows the, the business more inside and out. And just for people listening, they, they, they must understand, I went into MMA when I didn't get into pro wrestling. Because <laughs> pro wrestling was my first love and always always will be. So, yeah, I met Sam in 2008. Just... Oh, no, 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 let me think. Just 2009. 
just after the Ultimate Fighter because I thought, you know what? I'm sick of all this. It was because um, the ins and outs. I don't want to ruin it for people, but the ins and outs behind the scenes, it's always different. Even when you wrestled, if you know the ins and outs, it's just uh, I had I had um, concerns about how probably UFC and whatnot is run, and there's just little things I've seen that you don't see aired that confirm stuff for me. And uh, I was a little bit sick of it. It was a very, it can be a very negative atmosphere. I was with anything, but I think pro wrestling in general is um, a bit more positive. But um, yeah, well, Sam wanted that idea. We got on. It's personality-wise, not just wrestling styles. We really get on, uh, me and Sam. And um, we planned it for ages, and then I kept coming uh, to the wrestling, and then, what I kept doing was basically subcontracting myself to MMA gyms. They go, we need a wrestling coach because, as you know, wrestling's not the biggest well-known sport here. It's like Thai and BJJ. And I think after the ultimate fight, everyone knew I was a, like a top-end wrestler. So come and do wrestling. And I'd, I'd join the gym for a few years and then someone's offered me more money and go there. And it sounds a little bit disloyal, but I, I, my heart weren't in it. And I was doing it for money at the time. But... um. That's what kept pulling me away from pro wrestling. I'd come back in. But then he wanted to fly with the idea, Pitbull. And he ended up getting Tim Wiley. And it worked. I was at every one of their shows, every one of their matches. And it was great. But I think Tim's got an injury uh, now. And um, he's not doing it anymore. And then it just it just fell into place. It was... Um, no, just like, like I said, it was just... People listen, obviously, know the business works. And I do like to be... I am old school. I do like to be kayfabe. If someone's worked my leg in a match... When I'm at the bar, get me water before I drive home. I'm still limping. I am, I'm, <laughs> I am like I do still keep kayfabe going. Like to the point, people ask me, "Is he okay?" And I go, "Oh yeah, he worked the leg." And he went, "Oh, I've seen that." So it's, I, I do love it that much. And I love the fact that you kayfabe. Kayfabe is basically you carry on the illusion. So Dave, when he says he, if his legs being worked in the match, he carries on the limp. It makes the child in the front row who's seen him get battered all day still believe we don't want to tell the kids that santa's not real that's what dave tries to do that's the best way to describe it it's so important with kids mentality it's like if something goes into their mind that they can't process it it's it's lifelong damage so we just keep keep the magic alive for kids i'm like i've got five kids myself so that's 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 my whole existence is cases to them anyway but yeah sorry i'll go back to you i will answer your question with regards to it well yeah they were the the filthy um Rotten Scoundrels were the tag champions, but they were getting bookings separate, and he, it was a bit far from them. They were, they were very busy, and he, and uh, Steve Saxon wanted uh, constant champions. So he even asked me, he said, listen, do it here. We'll book you strong. I even I even always said as well, I'm never doing a squash match. I just couldn't do it. Just for respect purposes, I couldn't do it. I don't mean against me. I mean, I couldn't do it to someone else. So, yeah, they, they put us over against the, the Filthy Rotten Scoundrels. Just in a... Um, like a dark match, it wasn't planned. It was when the Alpha Gen tournament was on, and it was a nice surprise. And people liked us there because I spent loads of time talking to people after the match. And I just talk, and loads of people come over. Loads of people, as you know, it, it crosses boundaries the MMA and the pro wrestling. They've got fans for both, so it's like that little thing. They get a little bit excited. It's like it's a little look behind the veil, isn't it, for the UFC? It's a little, there's a little look behind the veil for the pro wrestling at the same time. They really they, they get a good buzz out of it, to be honest. Brilliant. That's a cool answer. I love that, Dave. Just one more on the wrestling before I ask you uh, a little bit of a left field question. Yeah. No uh, with you, with you loving the pro wrestling and like the actual grappling back in the day, and then you done the the, the quote unquote real fighting because I'm never going to use the f word about wrestling because that's disrespectful yeah. as hell. How hard was it for you when you were in the ring with someone 
Or have you ever had to give someone a little bit of a tasty one just to slow them down a little bit? I, yeah, I was on a show in... Oh, I broke DJ King's ribs, but that was an accident. I was only He was only meant to take one kick, but he loved it. And then he said, let's roll up the ring. <laughs> again, I'm breaking kayfabe again. And we've done a little bit more. He loved it. And then in another match, he went, that's two more kicks. It was just every time we faced each other, more kicks. And uh, just one, he turned into it. And it hit him on the rib. And it popped his rib. And he never told me, though. He never moaned about it. He never told me. But again, that's whatever. I'd, I'd done one intentional. I was on um, I was on someone's show. I mentioned him. Everyone's going to go, boo. So I was on someone's show in Leeds. I'm sure you can work it out. And I was looking through the the partition. And a guy hit another guy with three stunners. And he non-sold them. And the last one, he just brushed them off and sat him in the corner. Just didn't sell them. So I ran in and grabbed the guy who hit the stunner. So I've got him choking him. But as I'm choking him very violently, I'm asking him, was he met with it? Did he no sell you there? He went, and so I'm talking to him like, like I'm biting his ear. So I said, what went on there? So this is what happens in pro wrestling. Shock horror for anyone who's talking to me. Um, I asked him, I said, uh, was he meant to sell it? He went, he was meant to wobble a bit off the first. No sell the first one, wobble a bit on the second one, take a bump on the third. And he didn't. I went, okay. So I turned to this guy, hit him with two work shots. He didn't sell them. So I turned sides on and left foot forward and hit him with a legit sidekick. Because I, I, everyone knows me for grappling. I've got a black belt in K1. My best kept secret is that I'm a striker. I've been boxing since I was seven. And when the wrestling, the freestyle wrestling stopped, I actually carried on with kickboxing, which was a, or traditional kickboxing all above the waist. So I've always been a flashy kicker as well. People don't realise that. My nickname in, when I was in the Wolf's Lair was Van Damage. Dave Van Damage. <laughs> I want to use it in a pro wrestling, but people know me, certainly. I still might do it. But anyway, this guy took a sidekick, and it wasn't full power. It was just nice and accurate. It's hit him. And now I don't put a spear. I haven't got a spear in my artillery. Artillery. People expect me to have a spear, because I look like a small, small Goldberg, small bag. <laughs> so I bounced off the rope, and I was going to legitimately spear this guy. But as I got to him, he kind of non he, he definitely, like, he wormed away from me, sat in the corner, and went, oh, oh. And he said, I'm not swearing, but he said, I'm effed. Anyway, expletive. He said, I'm expletive. <laughs> and he was in the corner holding his rib. I went, okay, you just stay there. And he was there for the whole rumble. And he was the winner of it. I love that. Yeah. Just a little taster just to put someone in the place. I like that a lot. Team effort. If you don't work, it's called working, isn't it? You've got to work with each other to make it successful. So just uh, changing pace a little bit. Yeah. We've got your email address, which leads yeah. us to believe that you're a big horror fan. Yes. Accurate presumption, yes. <laughs> here's, a little, here's a little crossover question for you. Yes. If you had to have three horror characters on your four-man Survivor Series team as partners, who would they be and why? Right. So, obscure ones. First one is always going to be a character, a Clive Barker creation called Rawhead Rex. A lot of people don't know about Rawhead Rex. But he was like this phallic demon uh, in the comic. But in the movie, and Clive Barker hates this character, the movie version. I've actually got, when you see me wrestle next time, I've got a giant raw head Rex on my right shoulder now. And he's just a big, he's basically, yeah, he's a big um, big penis demon, really. <laughs> he doesn't look like one. But he's, he just, yeah, it's a fantastic movie. It was shot in Ireland, so if you ever get a chance to watch it. I think it's free on YouTube, raw head Rex. Okay. So he'd be one. I'm not going to be boring. Um, I wouldn't have Freddy because... He killed kids. So I'd, I'd have to, Freddie would have to be on the opposing team and I'd just put him in a 30 minute angle lock. That's what I'd do. Um, I wouldn't have Jason because everyone, everyone picks Jason. Just, just for the, because I'm a metalhead as well, I'd have to have Pinhead in there. 
and he's cool. He's a, he's a cool cat. So um, I'll get Pinhead in there. Raw Head Rex. Two Clive Barkers up to now. So let's go obscure. Well, saying that, I could pick someone. I was just going to really um, upset the boat and pick an absolute giant character. Do so I'll pro- probably have the big uh, sea monster from the Korean movie, The Host. If anyone's ever seen it, obscure, and it's a fantastic movie. So I thought I'd pick. I mean, I think uh, Pinhead's probably my cop out character, but it'd make the match interesting, wouldn't it? You get disqualified straight away for the chains. <laughs> I love it. Great answer. <laughs> Last one from me before I hand over. And again, you can sidestep this question if you want. Have you now? Me and you have both got something else in common that we both work the doors. You've yeah. done Liverpool, and I did mostly Warrington and around that area. Give us one funny, safe to broadcast, won't get yeah. anyone in trouble story from the doors. But listen, I've got absolutely too many. Oh, also that famous story going round that the doorman's telling, the Scouse one, when he said they all got thrown by a goth. Do you remember this? It's a it's a famous story that's doing its rounds. It's actually me mate, yeah. Win Stanley, who does traditional jujitsu. It was him who done it. <laughs> um, just think that little tidbit, but um, yeah, I'm allowed. To, well, I, I'll I will keep it clean. I was working on the grafting. I'll keep it nice and quick. I'll try and make it quick. I was working okay. on the grafting. I give chase to a guy after he, he attempted to bottle someone. It didn't really work, thank goodness. So I've chased him, and he's seen all the doormen at the front, and he took a left into the cafe. Now he didn't go by any standards in the grafting. It was a terrible place. So the fire exit was actually chained shut. So he's ran through this hemp party and all the women in the 50s and 60s. He's ran through the hemp party, he's grabbing the door and then he's seen me coming and he said, he screams, he's going, I'm going to die, he's going to kill me. So I've grabbed him and pulled him away from the door. I've put him in a choke and pulled him away and he's gone blue. He's instantly gone, gone asleep and all the women are screaming at me, calling me all kinds. You can imagine because you've been there before. And they start just all throwing chips at me, right? <laughs> throwing chips at me. And I'm just laughing. I'm closing my eyes, getting pelted with chips. This fella's asleep. Chips are landing in his eyes and his mouth and everything. And as I'm, I carry the guy to the front door. And as I'm walking past all the lads, they look at me with utter shock. So I think I'm covered in potato. And they're saying to me, who's done that to you? I said, that hen party in the cafe. So I've left the fella outside to recover because uh, Dennis Martin was out and we had another one. Uh, John Moncrief, they were top, like military grade um, first aiders. So you, anything like that, you bring them to them. So they were seen to him. And all these women started getting thrown through the air <laughs> up from this hen party. Out, out. And they're screaming and all that. So I was going, wow, it's a bit heavy. I didn't think it was that, that insulting to get hit with chips. But as I walked up the step, there's a mirrored wall. I look to the left to Jenny, this girl who worked in the box. So I'm looking at the mirrored wall. As I'm walking up, I noticed I what they couldn't see chips. I was covered in the tomato sauce off the chips. So they <laughs> thought it was bottled. So anyway, that so I've turned whoa, 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 lads, lads, lads. It's it. So these women are flying through the air. So they're all at the door screaming. And one we had a big bodybuilder lad, and he said something a bit derogatory about the woman's future husband, because it was like a Hindu. And she went, You what? And she pulled the top down and she pulled out a fake boob <laughs> and threw it at us. And we dodged like the Red Sea. We parted, spun, hit the door and bounced back out at them. But you know the plastic bit, the plastic side that sticks on, landed square on the fella's forehead who were choked out. It was unreal. It was just like, and that's, that's probably one of my cornerstones in my book, that story. <laughs> Outstanding, Dave. That's brilliant. Well, 
that finishes my uh, portion of the interview. And I was trying so hard not to laugh then, mate. That was so good. I'm going to hand us, hand you over to our friend in Germany, based over in Darmstadt. Guten Abend, Christoph. Take it away, brother. Abend, meine Herr. <laughs> hey, Dave. Honestly, God, I, I've been on mute for the last five minutes because I haven't stopped laughing at that story. I wanted to ask whether you, uh, whether you kept kayfabe and kept the sauce on for the rest of the night. Oh, no, it was just, it was just, it went and told them as well. It was just like, it was just silence for the rest of the night. It was just like, you're being very hands-on with, with, the, with these ladies. No one got hurt. It was just, because they were, they were all busy screaming. But yeah, I think I was in a different place there. I just got, I got cleaned up. I just wanted to look, I look, wanted to look nice for all the, uh, all the, uh, the, the single mums in there, didn't I? As you do, as you do. Okay, well, I've got a few more uh, fight-related questions for you. A couple of biggies yeah. and then, um, and then a couple of uh, shorter questions as well. So, uh. Okay. So yeah, let's let's dive right in. Not long ago, we we had professional boxer on Junior Thompson. Yeah. He talked a little bit about his taekwondo background and how the footwork from taekwondo sometimes it gave him a, a bit of an advantage, but sometimes it got him into trouble when transferring no skills into boxing. Now you've mentioned that you've done boxing. You started out. I think you started wrestling as well when you were 11 years old. So That's how did you find kind of developing? those skills together or did you kind of find okay well one time you'd maybe be focused on boxing more one time yeah. more the wrestling how did that pan out well listen this question i've been waiting for this to come along and when you were asking me what questions would you like to ask i thought it might be a bit technical to ask this but my peeve and i think mma is not caught up it's still behind and still when boxing this is a, a brilliant question I'm, I'm like i'm proper buzzing now that you've asked me this I think it's behind when he starts saying someone's got a reach advantage because you know the reach is that the, the arm span it's not one arm it's the arm span so it might if it's a one inch reach it's half an inch per arm that's how it works so gotcha. it's um, and he still base it on that but he don't base it on the gate of the step now boxing and freestyle well boxing can be short it depends on your style so like a lot of the people over in Germany the Eastern Bloc style as well from Russia it's like more conservative style like Vladimir Klitschko and stuff, but you get karate and taekwondo because they fight with the feet. It's mostly, it's the gate and the steps wider. And when you've wrestled for years, if you pull off a real double leg, I mean, there's still people in the UFC, you can't throw a, a legit double leg. A correct double leg opens your hips and you've got a wider gate and step. And like I said, I spent a lot of time doing traditional kickboxing, basically, which is the sport version of karate. And again, the gate is wider. So, even when I, I mean, ask Lee, uh, Lee Johnson, good mate, pro boxer. He was asking me how I was catching a jab on him because he's about a foot taller than me. I said, how am I, how are you evading my jab and landing jab? I said, Tyson's done it for years. I said, it's the gate in my step. It's the timing, but it's the gate in the step. And listen, Taekwondo, when uh, a few of the Kratty guys, Taekwondo guys, they come in, they can't. They attack from a further distance. I mean, Tony Quigley, ex um, middleweight, uh, super middleweight boxing, British boxing champion. He used to say, you stand really far out for your height, but it worked for me. And um, I still think, I think that's why a lot of our British fighters uh, plateau in the UFC, because these are a lot of Thai boxing and Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and not one of them work on footwork. Now, they do to a degree. Someone's going to balk at that. Yes, they do. No, they do a little bit of footwork, but it's, it doesn't transfer well to MMA. The distance is wider because there's there's a lot more things. And then a lot of people can't can't get the timing of their punches because, like, again, the last thing that moves when you throw a punch is your hand. Your, your punch comes from your core. Your legs, your core, then the last thing that moves, Jordan, if you throw a punch is your hand. 
that's why again I I I, I balk when I see these videos, people doing these pads and the standing right in front of them doing a lovely twenty twelve it twenty or twelve, it's always twenty or twelve hit combo in front of people with loads of slips and that, but it doesn't transfer to fighting. That's just to get your clients. It's like it's a proper that's why I'm going on about it now, it's a proper pet peeve. But when when like personally, when I went into it from boxing I, I done it like a traditional boxing style with Albie Scott. He is always a legendary coach in Kirby boxing. I started, it was more of a, like a classical style, like amateur boxing style. But because of the wrestling, I could double leg. And you learn to double leg over a further distance, further, further, further. And it opens your hips right up. And then when I went to kickboxing and we were fighting further away, when I went to MMA, just found it. And again, people have just like, they go, oh, when you hear me say this, but just because of, I've had that background and that was basically what I'd done. That was my, my all-time hobby. I was wrestling, I was kickboxing. Was, I found like the transference to MMA quite easy and I found actually fighting MMA to be easier than actually doing freestyle wrestling, so if, if that makes sense. <laughs> okay, it makes sense, yeah. It's, it's a fascinating insight. I want to follow on a little bit from there as well. So given, yeah. you know, we talk about MMA mixed martial arts, when you're fighting people of different disciplines, and you've got this kind of extensive background from multiple disciplines yourself. Do you prefer fighting certain types of fighters as opposed to others? So, you know, are you happy to go in with a grappler or do you prefer to go in with a, a kickboxer? What, what's, what's your preference or what, what, what are you a little bit more wary of when you're stepping into, into the arena? It, it, it's not even so much wary. It's like I get because... Here's the thing, I used to get, I don't want to sound like a thug, I've been, this, the people have done this with me before, where I've, I've mentioned this, but I think just fighting, like when I've had like loads of fights, not professionally, out in the street, I hate bullies, so there's one, so I always like to rectify a good bully, uh, uh, if they if the exist, a bad bully, so I've had loads of fights in the street, and I, that, I, I like that. There's always something behind it. Something's motivating it. When it's been for a sport, it was a bit... I've always been very calm. It doesn't bother me. It really doesn't bother me. So the only thing... I, I'm never aggressive. I'm never... I'm just very calculated because fighting shouldn't be a matter of, like, it's not a Rocky movie. That's what people don't realise. It's not a Rocky movie. It's not about, like, getting in a barn and doing all the sit-ups and fight, like, proper killing it every time in the gym. It's about clever training and looking after your body. And when I fight, I'm very quite surgical. Do you know what I mean? I, I've never been here fighting. Do you know what I mean? And to be honest, I haven't, I haven't really hurt anyone apart from Dean when I got disqualified, and he's my mate now, so I'm always close about that. But it was again, <laughs> yeah, I'm a bit more clinical. So what I don't like, I like to fight strikers now. On purpose, my last three fights, I tried to fight a striker to show striking off. It's because as soon as I start grappling, I go into autopilot, and then within with less than a minute, I'll get a sub. And I'm not, I'm not trying to sound Charlie Big to say I'm just telling you how it normally goes. So at last three fights, I tried to get a striker because I wanted to have a fight to show people. But I think another striker can tell when you're beating them on the step. Another striker can tell that. So the last three strikers of fought actually initiated the grappling. They have initiated it. And then when I go into autopilot then, and I wrestle, and I go, oh, and I feel feel a bit rubbish, you know what I mean, when I've won with another sub because I, I spent so many years doing grappling tournaments. It was sub, so I'm used to that. I just want to start beating, even if it went the distance, you know what I mean? I just want to show the striking. Yeah, because when you start fighting people who are purely jits, people don't realise Brazilian jiu-jitsu is a complete sport. He is striking it, he is takedowns. But I'm talking about the westernised version where it's just rolling on your back, it's rolling on the floor. That's what mostly people think jits is and it's not. But then you get these new age fighters who do 
he's too tight and he's too jits, but they're mostly jits. So then it's a lot of trying to pull guards on you, just trying to hold, and they're not really doing much, and it's spoiling the fight. But I haven't, I haven't run it, ran into it too much. Too much, a bit much, a bit more in like grappling tournaments because a few times I've stood up and they give points against you because it's just like it's a, it's a boring match, it's a boring fight. It's not exciting. I like to take people down because I've got a, I've done judo for years. I like to throw people with big throws and stuff. So it's like I don't want to be getting grabbed up like a leech on me and and everyone's seen it. The crowds are watching this all day. They don't want to see that. Even other grapplers don't want to see that. But uh, yeah, it's probably just people who are purely jits. It's just because it, sometimes, it, I mean, it doesn't bother me. I've got no bo- problem dealing with it. It can just slow the pace down for the fight. And I like it to be flowy and organic, if if that's a good enough answer. <laughs> it's a great answer. I love it. I could have listened to you for probably another five or ten minutes just talk about that. I just want to touch on another point that you mentioned there about being, you know, quite surgical. I think you said or, or clinical yeah. with, with your approach. You, in, the, in the last few years, you've ventured in, into, into coaching now as well. So I want to... Yeah kind of explore that a little bit and and understand how you move from this you know from the fighting mentality and you know you're going in there to compete how did you find the transition from being a, a trainer you know from 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 a training perspective and a combat perspective into then coaching you know like the next generation of fighters hey, how it started i never wanted to go into coaching i did later on but not now i'm 40 now but literally i still haven't lost any me i've lost none of me bigger and i think i've had a passion fight more i am still going to fight i think i'm going to have another about another five fights to be honest but all abroad because i'm speaking to people it's because the money went really poor over here and that's what that killed that's what killed a lot of me motivation as well because it was like if you put yourself on the chopping block i'm not being a prima donna but you want money for it and i've always been in even the security i've always get been getting paid a lot of money for stuff and like if someone offers me like 1500 quid for a fight i've already got that in two weeks it's it's really not worth it. And I could be off work for a few months if I get hurt and stuff. So, yeah, well, I never really wanted to transfer into it. I do like being taught because throughout life, you'll never stop learning. And it's an old uh, mantra, uh, uh, an old adage, but it's true. And even, but like as early as 2005, I think there was a, a bit of a money dispute with Mario Shukata and the management in the Wolf's Lair. And he went, yes, there was no one to teach crap. And he went, Dave, do you want to teach? And it was like, Okay then, but I was buzzing off for first. He might well give me a bit of dough, give me a bit. I think about fifty quid, which was good money for that time. And I was teaching people. It was weird having a class where I was teaching, and like Bisping was in it, and Rampage was in it, and Rico Rodriguez was in it, and Tiki was there at the time. If you remember him, he used to fight in UFC, and Zach Light, he was the wrestling coach for, and they all loved it. They were like buzzing off the stuff I'd done. It was stuff I I'd done in my own time that I never ever taught and people going wow what's this drill what's that i'm going to teach some of them takedowns with that freestyles with that catch whatever because people still don't do a lot of that i didn't really want to transfer into it. i did buzz off it so i started like someone said do you want to do a class in here so i started doing a class in the wolf i think i've done two classes in the wolf's lay and then it was kind of like that was in and out and then i always wanted to train and what i found with when i'd go to a class and teach i was allowed to like the laziness of kicking i was allowed to just teach and show a little bit of move get a little bit of sweat on but then i'd be putting on weight and i wouldn't realize i didn't realize because be a little bit a little bit but i wouldn't say the transfer is uh, the, tran- the, uh, the, uh, the transfer um into coaching's complete yeah i mean i still do it and but i make sure i still train i still train in all my classes everyone in my classes are rolling everyone in my kickboxing classes are sparring and i do the pad work with them so that's not bad but i always do a little bit extra if, if i do want to fight 
I'll always do a little bit of extra because I've got I've got another show. I do, I've got a Pancreas show called uh, Jigoku, and I still want to fight Pancreas on that. So um, and it's open weight, so I'm going to try and get some. I was actually speaking to a German bodybuilder. I can't even give him a shout out. Can't even remember what his name was. He was going to come over and fight me because he was about six foot five or something, and he was going to come over and have me a fight because I, I like that. I like the freak fights. Do you know what I'm saying? Uh, can I jump in a sec? Yeah. Just a quick one. I'm up for that. Yes. No, I'm not. I'm. I'm deadly. I'm deadly serious. I like you oh. a lot. But I've. I've. I've British Taekwondo champion back in the day, so let's uh, maybe just have a little spa sometime. No, we can do it. Listen, what we do as well, because I've got loads of, loads of the lads from the pro wrestling have been coming and have legit fights on it. Uh, Pitbull, I've had four Jigoku shows now, and I just, do I test the shows as well? But Pitbull won the first tournament, and it was full of pro wrestlers, and it was a legit tournament. He defended. We've got two titles. We've got a super fight title, Grand Prix title, and we've got a grappling title. The other, the guy is actually, just for the listeners here, social distancing, he's in there with his, <laughs> his training partner in the other room now grappling. He's the grappling champ on my show. It's all open weight. It's um, And it is the entertainment value. And they're just, it's, it's just catching fire at the minute. Listen, I was plagiarised in that interview as well. <laughs> it was, <laughs> that was meant to be about your Goku, that interview. That was meant to be about Jigoku, and he changed it into something else. And the, and the, the crap that some people had received off that. A certain scout fighter with a terrible haircut who were threatened over it, so I'll leave that, that there. I love it. I think we've, we've gone through a, a hell of a lot, gone through so much. There's so much detail there to... I'm going to look forward to listening back to this as well, because it's just been a like a whirlwind. I'm just going to change the pace a little bit now, Dave. Um, so we just had a lot of big, chunky questions. These last few questions are a little bit quick. Um, don't think about them too much. I just want you, like, your first um, honest answer. So first question, what's the best move you've ever put on someone in a fight? Like a legit fight or, yeah, legit fight? Any fight. Oh. Oh my God, do you know what? It was on the door, it was a box set, and I actually legitimately German suplexed him off a step and he went through a car window. Oh man. <laughs> that was outside. See if anyone can confirm it, if any of the, the dorm rooms working with the living a day now. Um, I, um, it was on the Slaters, on, no Slaters, next to Slaters, what was it called? Don Wands. Oh, there man. we go. Yeah, Don Wands oh, and Slaters. He, he knocked the girl out in the club and that's what he got. There you go. I don't even know if I, I, it's going to take some top in the next questions. Okay, what's the next question? Right, what is the best move that anyone's ever put on you? Oh God, um, yeah, this was it. I, it was a move. <laughs> I'm not saying because it was a move I showed him. Um, uh, Michael Sinclair, Rob Sinclair's little brother. He's a, such a good kid. Listen, if you ever fo- just follow him on Facebook, if anyone sees him, because he puts some great videos, he just does impressions of rocking and stuff all the time. He's a laugh. Now I showed him this move. Oh, I'm gonna. It's true. It's him and Brian Crichton. I showed them both the moves. So I showed uh, Mick Sinclair this. It's a cheat in a triangle. It's how you. It's a proper. It's a mixture of a catch. Um, elbow grind and a triangle choke. I'll show one of you sometimes in the meters. And um, it's when you put the triangle, you drive the elbow into the face. It was great. He started tapping everyone with it. And he went, Dave, this is Michael Sinclair. He went, I've tapped everyone with that. He went, sound. And threw it straight on me. I, eventually, we actually slid out the door so I didn't have to tap off it. But I went, wow. But I was made up with him. I was like, I wasn't, didn't, I weren't like peed. I weren't like, yeah, I weren't fuming with it. 
I was just made up with it. And another time, I showed Brian Crichton. It was a dummy double leg into a right uppercut into a real double leg. And I, I was just showing it, and just out of the blue, he threw it and hit me clean the jaw, jabbed me neck. I had a bad neck for about a week. It was excellent. So there we go. I love it. Okay, last question. Best move that you've seen live? Oh, God. They might use my favourite fighter years ago. And when he done that, George St. Pierre put him in a Kimura and he stepped around and done an armbar. If you remember it, go and watch it. It was absolutely fantastic. Totally a word I like to use clinical. There you go. Fantastic. So your best three moves there. I love it. Great. Okay, well that's that's it from me, Dave. It's been a it's been an absolute pleasure. I'm gonna hand you over to Howard, who's got a couple more questions in here, and the floor is Howard, so thank you. I've only got one question for you, Dave. I'm conscious of the time. A little bird tells me that you are in the process of writing a book. So as an author, I've obviously got to ask you, can you share anything about the contents of your forthcoming book? Oh, absolutely. I mean, like I said, I've rewritten it as I'm becoming a better writer each time, as I'm evolving, uh, as my vocab's getting better. Just me writing the timing of my stories and the books getting much better. I keep rewriting it because I just want it to be right. No pun intended. Uh, But the format has stayed the same. It's starting when it's basically talking about my fight career. And it starts in 1982 when I first watched the world of sport wrestling. Uh, a guy called Skull Murphy, a bad guy, and he's beating another guy, and I was screaming at the TV because of the injustice of what I've just viewed. And then it finishes in 2011 when I won me uh, me two world titles in submission wrestling over in Sicily. Now that's a nice chunk, and it, it leaves it leaves me to carry on the story. But yeah, it's about how I wanted to be a pro wrestler. I, I want to be a pro wrestler, then I become a freestyle wrestler. Then I said I'd never work on the door because thugs worked on the door. That was my thought. How I end up working on the door and becoming a legit fighter. Um, it's just funny how, uh, basically about how life takes you down certain paths and it's not always the one you want, but how I found my way back to the path as well. So it's, um, I've done it. Some people won't believe it, the way it's, the way it's set, the timing of every, all the events in it, but it's totally true. And... Um, I've just I've just done it in a comedic way. I haven't fabricated anything, but I've just I've done I, I've written it as me of that age uh, would have uh, how I've used it back then because I remember it so vividly. So yeah, that's 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 basically it. It's amazing. Have you got a publisher lined up already? Then well, we did. We had um, there was a, a publisher that came about called Big Fish Publications, was it? But they came to just do their own book. Now there's just I don't know what's happening in their camp. But it's all gone quiet for a bit. But I'm going to make sure it's right first, and I'm going to make sure it's all edited correctly in in, in the way like the, the the ratio for the page and all this malarkey, as you know. Um, you you know what I'm going about more so than I do. And uh, once it's clean, because I don't I don't want someone to. Because I did, um, I did uh, put some articles out a few times because I love writing. I love writing stories. After this, I'm going to do it. Um, I'm going to do a lot of horror. I'm going to do a backstory about Quint from Jaws and hopefully a backstory about East Proctor from um, American Whale from London. That's what I'm aiming to do. But uh, I'm just going to find see what's, who's out there. I just want someone to not change it because I, 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 I issued a few articles and he was snippets from the book and they changed them because obviously someone had done a writing course and changed it so it sounded a bit nicer and all that, but didn't. It didn't sound right and didn't sound better. 
it was better how I wrote it, the timing was right. And he put a few little, like little words and little extra things on the lines that just, it's just not me. It felt like I was, I was reading an imposter story. So I've got to find the right publisher who, who wants to publish it. If I don't do it myself, but someone who wants to publish it as, as it is, obviously if there's any grammatical errors and stuff yet, we clean them up, but it's got to sound and got to be paced the way I've done it. Cause I'm very, I mean, the same mentality here, Sylvester Stallone out of Rocky. He didn't want to budge on it. He wanted to be the main actor, and it, it came to fruition. So that's what I want to do. We'd love to have you back at some point, uh, maybe when your book's about to be published, and then you can tell us more about the book. But in the meantime, yeah. I'll hand you back over to Lee. No, thank you. It was lovely talking to you, Howard. Brilliant, Dave. Just wanted to say massive thanks from the three of us. It's probably been, in fact, there's no probably about it, it's been the most entertaining and funniest interview so far in my eyes. First layer off the off the off off the pudding, mate. This is I can do this all day. I love stories. I love I love talking to good people about good good times. Absolutely. And um, so we're just going to wrap up now. So as you can hear, we've been here with Dave Faulkner tonight. What a fantastic interview. Would you say so myself? I'm not going to finish off with the uh, mixed martial arts and boxing outro like we did with Junior because I don't want to do the same thing twice. Just thanks again, Dave, for coming on. We'll definitely be having you back. Howard, can you just let us know about our next guest, James? Certainly. Our next guest next week is a gentleman called James Parkinson. James is one of the most talented all-round musicians I've had the pleasure of working with. His main strength is lead guitar, electric guitar, but he also is a proficient keyboard player and a great singer, and he writes and records his own material under the name One Cure for Man. And I've been fortunate enough to play on some of James's albums and also some of the live gigs with him. So James will be on to talk about his musical career, also his artistic career. He actually paints the covers for many of his albums and just to talk about his life so i'm very much looking forward to that one great stuff so we've we've been gabbing with glassheads dave's been dave faulkner thanks so much for listening good night good night Bye. <laughs>